Welcome to Night Light. Step away from the mainstream and gather around as we enlighten the world and our realities and travel this cosmic journey we call life. Join us as we share with you and provide that beacon that can guide us all to a better way. Explore with us as we examine a metaphysical montage of spiritual insights covering everything from the mundane to the magical, UFOs to unicorns, and everything in between. This is a time of awakening, of sharing and evolving, of spreading our wings and soaring on the cosmic breath of creation. Come and join with other light-minded spirits as we weave our lights together to seek understanding, enlightenment, and with a little luck, some wisdom. This is Nightlight, a reminder that you are never alone. Welcome everybody to Nightlight. Thank you so much for sharing your time with us today. We really appreciate your listening and learning and sharing with us as we explore so many different, unique, unbelievably entertaining authors and books. We really appreciate your sharing your time with us and we understand how precious time is. So we try to give you the best of the best here and I think we've done just that today for sure. I want to thank first Ken Quiethawk for his amazing intro. You can find him out there on Google. He and his wife, Deb, are Native American storytellers, and they have done an amazing amount of work to preserve, protect, and share all of the magic that is in this particularly wonderful way of preserving history. But for now... Mark has an incredible um, author on with him, and and they are going to be delving into some very interesting topics. I'm very excited, and I have my paper and pencil out because I'm taking notes right along with the rest of you. So, Mark, it's all yours. Okay. How, how, how are you doing today, Barbara? Doing very well. Thank you. <clears throat> yeah, it's, uh, speaking of time, this is what uh, – Second show in twelve hours. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> so, yeah, um, our listeners know that we don't do math on nightlight, except for when Blog Talk doubles my salary and makes it retroactive, and I can still easily calculate my take-home pay. Um, yeah, I I, did, uh, I haven't been given yeah. that notice yet, so. <laughs> no. Okay. Yeah, I I did okay discussing you know, the science behind prehistoric climate change uh, with uh, TR a couple weeks ago. A little nervous about discussing quantum physics, but our guest has made it easy uh, for for people like me to understand in his new book, A Burst of Conscious Light. Uh, and I think we'll be okay. Uh, yeah, this is going to be a, an exciting show. Uh, you know, when I was starting out and 
you know, my radio career about 10 years ago, you know, I was doing behind the scenes uh, research for you know, some of the hosts. And that's where I met our, our guest. Um, when I saw he had, you know, this new book coming out, you know, wanted to have Andrew as a guest. So it, it's finally it, you know, nice to, you know, finally have him as a you know, guest on my show and, you know, just get reconnected with, a you know, exciting lecturer. Um, our, our guest is Dr. Andrew Silverman. He is a medical doctor with a background in physics. Uh, for over 30 years, Andrew has been researching the mind-matter continuum, near-death experiences, and the Shroud of Turin. He is widely recognized as a leading expert on the Shroud. His new book is entitled A Burst of Conscious Light, and it will be available February 11th, uh, next you know week from today, uh, from Inner Traditions and other major bookstores. Uh, so, welcome, Dr. Andrew Silverman. Thank you very much for having me on the show. Very pleased to be uh, here. Oh yeah, we are thrilled to have you. We have a great combination of where science and religion actually intersect. Uh, mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, yeah. Before uh, we get into discussing the Shroud of Turin, um, you know, can, can you give us an explanation for why you're using quantum physics and not just regular science uh, as you know, the best method to study the Shroud? Uh, you know, what's special about quantum physics well you know the thing about about quantum physics is that it became apparent over a hundred years ago to the founders of of quantum physics people like uh, Max Planck and Erwin Schrodinger that it actually quantum physics itself suggests that mind or consciousness is actually something fundamental that it's not a product of of matter so the relevance is not so much uh people who read the book will see that they don't need a a detailed mathematical understanding of of quantum physics to approach the book far far from it Uh, what they will see is that evidence brought together from some of these leading minds from uh, from the past and some from the present, in fact, including a uh, professor of physics at Stanford University, Andre Linder, uh, who wrote in his leading physics textbook that he believes that the, the, the science itself is showing that we have to take consciousness seriously as being something that is that is fundamental. That's not can't just be a product of a bunch of atoms that are gathered together into cells in certain formations in the in the human brain. It has to be far more than that. And of course, near-death experiences demonstrate that also. And people's consciousness continues when their brain waves are completely flat. Okay. It, obviously, you're. The, the title of your book is an extension of quant- theories of quantum physics, you know, like conscious light. Yeah, you know, that, that, that mm. you know, it's, yeah, it kind of sounds like a 
oxymoron, but yes, in fact, the the title was chosen by by the publishers, as is, is often the case. Uh, it wasn't actually that wasn't actually my uh, original plan for the title, um, but it was definitely a, a, a the evidence suggests that the image on the shroud may have been formed by a burst of light, and that light is a is a product of of consciousness. It's because of consciousness, if you like, that that it happened. So, um, yeah. Okay. So, all right. So, you know, before we start getting into discussing uh, the shroud, um, it, let's look at a few things that you are not saying uh, in your book, uh, mm-hmm. like you're, uh, you're, you're not a, uh, paid spokesperson for the, the Vatican or <laughs> yeah, you're not, <clears throat> it, it, yeah, you're, you're, you're being more of an, uh, objective, uh, reporter. Well, yeah. In fact, um, you mentioned earlier whether this could be where where science and religion meet. But it, actually, if you look carefully, there there isn't really religion as such in 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 my book. Uh, I, I do refer to the 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 fact that there is a great deal of evidence that the man who whose burial shroud the the shroud was uh, was the historical Jesus of Nazareth, and uh, that. The fact that the image formed after he after he died, uh, in a way that is consistent with the possible burst of light that came from his his body, may in fact be related to to how he lived and how his how his consciousness was was disposed through his the choices that he made and and the the lack of limitation or restriction in his in his thoughts through uh, being being selfless, compassionate, and and so on, but none of that in it is actually religious as such. That uh, I, I go right. to, to great pains to, to point out that actually, uh, if you if you look at his his words uh, and in a, in such a way as to put to one side the 20 centuries of history that happened after him, uh, when he was actually asked. What are you doing here in this in this world sort of thing? His response was that he was he came to his purpose was to bear witness to the truth now truth doesn't nobody has a monopoly on on truth, and I believe that that all of the world's major religions do have truth within them, but none of them owns the truth, and none of them owns him that uh, they may you know wish to represent him which is a, a noble thing to, <laughs> to 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 try to do but uh he in himself never actually as far as i can tell uh in in any of the what he was recorded to have said was uh, in any way condoning or or saying that there was a necessity for organized religions and hierarchies and uh, different ranks and different uniforms and 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 so on intermediaries human intermediaries between between people and him or and I, it was more of a case that that he actually said very specifically that anything you see anything I do you also can do he was saying that all all human beings have limitless potential 
and I don't believe he sought to be to be worshipped or feared. I think he was just giving us a, a clear insight to understand ourselves and to understand him as a as a reflection, if you like, of what our full potential could be as human beings. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, you, know, you do cover. Uh, okay, Jesus you know, does seem to be the best possible candidate for the person whose image is on the shroud. Uh, you know, you t- talk about you know, like the, you get a couple other candidates like uh, maybe you know, a cu- couple of the Old Testament prophets or. Uh, Buddha, but it, you know, in all the people that have lived, we don't have documentation of too many people who could, uh, yeah, be responsible for this image. And, you know, we'll get to that. You know, so you're not re- you're not really being a advocate for any one particular religion. It's just okay. We we don't have. Too, too many choices of people who could have done this. Well, uh, the evidence, is, uh, as you're saying, does suggest that it, it was Jesus of Nazareth who, whose image we see on the shroud, and there's forensic evidence that this was a man who had been killed after having been tortured and whipped and, and, and crucified and had a, a cap of sharp objects placed upon his head. There's uh, plenty of evidence from the, the pollen evidence and so on that mm-hmm. uh, this this happened in, in in Judea and it was probably between the years AD or C, CE uh, six and and 66 in in either March or April somewhere in in Judea in the in, environs of of Jerusalem. Uh, it, it's very difficult to imagine that it was likely to have been someone other than him and certainly. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you mentioned Old Testament prophets. I don't think the Romans had started crucifying people back in those days. Um, right. It was definitely a Roman crucifixion. And uh, also um, the Buddha, I don't believe, is reported to have been crucified. You mentioned him as well. I, I, it does appear that, that the man whose who's image we see on the shroud is is seems to be the historical Jesus of Nazareth. There's plenty of evidence for that, yeah. Okay, and so- as we start working our way uh, closer to discussing the shroud, uh, you know, most of us are you know, very familiar with uh, the eight uh, the eighteen ninety eight uh, photo that mm-hmm. uh, you know seems like. Uh, it's you know just very uh, uh, prevalent in all, you know religious studies. See it all over the place. Can, can you tell us a little bit about the history of that photo? 
Well, at the time the uh, the the shroud belonged to the uh, the Savoy family in in Italy, and uh, they permitted a photographer called Secunda Pia to to take a, a picture of it. This the photography um, had only been around for well about 60, 60 or seventy years at that time, um, and um, anyone who's who's sort of seen. Uh, antique cameras and so on it was quite a large device and it you had to um even until recently of course you had to make a negative and then uh before digital cameras started and so on before you make the positive and of course those days the, the negative was a was a full-sized uh photograph that was then you you made the positive from that so second so appear when, as, just to go into the background of this, when you look at the shroud, I've actually seen it three times at, uh, at three of the, the expositions. It's actually, uh, what you see is a, a very faint yellowish sepia type uh, image of the, the man, both front and back, that you can see on the cloth, as well as the bloodstains. And it, it doesn't look very... Uh, very clear as such you can just see make it out that this is the the shape of a man and it's only when you you look at it in photographic negative that suddenly it jumps out at you this this looks like a, a photograph of a of a man that's, that's now now appears very clear when it's in negative and it's said that Secondo Pierre nearly dropped his photographic plate in shock when he saw the negative because the negative of the shroud looks like well, it's black and white but it, it looks like a Looks like a positive of uh, of a photograph of a of a man, and um, initially it he it, that was it was doubted. They, they people thought that he would you know he'd made up this image that it wasn't a true photograph. But then of course when it was when it was repeated, people found the same phenomenon that that when you take a negative of the shroud then the negative looks like a positive, and this is of course what one would expect if the image had actually formed as a result of burst, a burst of radiant light from the body of the man. And this is also evidenced by the fact that there's what we call distance coding in the, in the image. And that's one of the many points that argues against the possibility of this camera obscura notion, uh, that, that it, this was some kind of, of in, in quotes, medieval photograph. Of course, there were no photographs in, in medieval times, but even had there been, if it had in some way been formed by reflected light from, from, a, from a dead body, then it wouldn't have the distance-coded information because it would be, be reflected. The only way you get the photographic negative properties and the distance coding is for the light actually to emanate from the body itself. Wow, okay. Uh, we're building up to some uh, fascinating I information. So, okay, you know, I'm sure that uh, you know the photographer, uh, you know, w would have been startled uh, enough to see that I image on a negative, and it's still. Uh, captivating today when you know we mm. see it, and that's uh, you know, it is on the cover of uh, your your book as well. But yes. um, so you, know, you said yeah, you've been to see the 
shroud three times and you know some of your research is drawn from the uh, 1978 uh, exam of the shroud. Uh, you know, what was the importance of that 120 hours that researchers had, you know, like un- unlimited access to mm. it? It's it's very important. I mean, um, you know, we're the the rest of us in the shroud research community are so grateful to to those people that did that. Many of them, are, of course, uh, still around, such as uh, uh, John Jack, Dr. John Jackson and Barry Schwartz, the the photographer, uh, to whom I'm very grateful for allowing me to to print his uh, his photographs in the in the book. Um, and he also has a, a website called um, shroud.com, which where you'll find most of the the historical and uh, scientific evidence regarding the shroud. And so, uh, basically, what they they the the Sturp team went there, and uh, they, at first they assumed it this was just some kind of relic that they were going to go there and in five minutes they'd see the brush strokes and then they could go back home again. And of course, they were, these were people. These were these were the people who were chosen for it. These were uh, sort of scientists and uh, people working for NASA and Los Alamos and 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 so on. These were very expert people, and they were uh, they went there assu- assuming before they'd actually looked into the shroud that this would be a very simple exercise to find how the image formed. And they were completely astonished when they actually looked at it that it didn't look anything like they were expecting there were no there were no brush strokes on there when you look at it in close up then uh, if it if it had been as people assumed before they'd looked at it assumed maybe it had been a, a painted image then you would have expected to see paint soaking through the the cloth but the only thing that soaks through the through the cloth is is the is the blood stains which they chemically tested and found actually to be blood but the the image of the of the man is a tiny superficial phenomenon on the very surface fibrils just 200 nanometers and to put that into perspective a nanometer is just one billionth of a meter so this is the the thickness of the image is just one five thousandth of a of a millimeter and it doesn't consist of anything that's been added to the cloth. There's no chemical that's been stuck there. It's basically a discoloration of some of the most the fibrils on the outermost surface, similar to the discoloration in paper when it's exposed to, to sunlight. And chemically, it's, that's described as oxidation and, and, and dehydration. And it's the fact that it's similar to what happens from sunlight, I think, that may have led... Uh, distinguished scientists such as Dr. Paolo Di Lazzaro of the Italian Atomic Energy Institute, the ENEA uh, in Frascati, to look into the possibility of whether the image might have formed as a result of a, of a burst of ultraviolet light. And they actually found that using ultraviolet lasers, very powerful, very intense very short burst of ultraviolet light they could get similar changes just to the outermost surface fibrils now they're not suggesting in fact no one sensible is suggesting that that the shroud image was formed technologically by by lasers and in fact we wouldn't be able to do that even now not even with 21st century technology it was uh, billions upon billions of watts of of power 
would have been needed to to form the image uh and uh and we we don't have that even today now um just to be clear when we're talking about all those watts people might wonder well if it was so powerful so much energy if you like why is the shroud still there? Why wasn't the whole thing vaporized? And the, the clue is in the fact that it's a large amount of power rather than a large amount of energy. See, power is basically means in physics the, the rate of transfer uh, of energy. So the actual total energy doesn't need to be big, but the energy is applied to the cloth in an extremely intense, very, very short burst uh, of energy to form the image. Okay, and the dimension of, or the dimensions of the shroud are, it's like a 14 foot long piece of cloth. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, how, how wide is it? Uh, if I remember correctly, it's around, around four feet wide. Uh, okay, so this. For uh, from you know the uh, eighteen ninety eight uh, negative and you know the photos that uh, Barry Schwartz you know, allowed you to publish in in your book, it, you know they all show that there was this burst of energy, you know. Front and back, covering this you know, fourteen-foot-long piece of cloth. Yes, of course, not not everyone agrees about how the how the image got there, but but I, I make a, a case in in the book that that the evidence is consistent with that possibility that it was a burst of of radiant mm-hmm. light, and th- to me, this is the the possibility that that makes the makes the most sense. Really, it's the only one that uh, that has any empirical evidence to back it up as as, as strange and uh, and outlandish as it might seem that such a thing should happen the physical evidence does does back it up okay and is is it on display just against the wall or uh in the church of uh the cathedral at uh Turin or hmm. is it just brought out on a, a special you know like Easter or something like that it's much rarer than that it's not it doesn't come out every year in fact I think um, after it came out when uh, the time that Secunda Pia took the photograph of it in 1898 I think the next time it was next expedition after that was in the 1930s um, oh. and uh, then uh, if I'm not mistaken, then 19, uh, late 1970s, which was around the time of the of the Sturp study, uh, there have been a few expositions again uh, more recently. But it's no, it's most of the time it's it's not on display. In fact, um, it's it's particularly. I think they're they're trying to protect it against the image against against light because what what would tend to happen, you see, is that uh, as you it, expose the the shroud to, to to light particularly if there's any daylight involved in that then the 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 contrast between between where the image areas are and where there aren't image areas would 
will gradually become become less because the the ultraviolet does tend to cause that yellowish discoloration of the of the, of the cloth, which which is what we can see in contrast that there's more of that discoloration where the image is and not where it isn't, so to speak. Okay. Okay. So it, I, I, I've always wanted to see, and it's, you know, maybe, maybe get a road trip from Blog Talk, you know, complimentary road trip. Uh, <laughs> if uh, next time it's on display, hopefully it'd be seen. I, I, you know, I just I, this is I just found this uh, whole subject to be really fascinating. So, mm. like, how did uh, you know we're building up to uh, uh, the evidence that uh, it was indigenous to uh, the Holy Land, but how did the shroud end up in northern Italy? Yeah, well, it's basically there. There is evidence, as you say, linking it from the pollen studies to uh, the environs of, of of Jerusalem, and it's thought that that following that, it, it may have gone to um, to a place called Edessa. Uh, there's a there's a story of a of a of a king, um, a king Abgar, who um, who was who was very unwell and um, who uh, was uh, contact sent a, a message to to Jesus asking having heard of Jesus's ability to to heal people saying you know can you can you come and heal me sort of thing and and um, that he uh, couldn't uh, he was busy of course with what he was doing at the time in Judea and um, but he, he said you know somehow I'll I'll try and help you. And it said that the um, although he didn't physically go to uh, go there, that that his the his burial shroud, which had his his image on it, was was taken there. And and it said that uh, this king was 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 uh, was healed when he he came into into contact with it. And um, then it, it seemed to um, be hidden away for some time there because there was the uh, this notion that that any uh, image of a of a of a human being was considered in in some uh, cultures to be uh, to be something that you shouldn't that you shouldn't have so to speak. Mm, okay. um, uh, and and uh, there there may have been an exception in the case of the shroud once it was realized that that this wasn't a, a, a so-called graven image it hadn't been made by by hand so to speak um and it just a, appeared on the cloth in which case people had a, might have had a more more tolerant attitude to it but but then um it, it it appears that it may have been taken from there to uh to to constantinople where it was actually um possibly looted by the um crusaders and that's that could be how it got to 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 France which is actually it was from France that it got to uh, to Italy now of course many people got put off by the by the carbon dating that was reported in okay. in 1989 in nature i was actually uh, uh studying for what's known as an intercalated science degree as during my um during my medical degree 
um, when that paper came out. And so in the, the uh, I used to, to read Nature every week, so I happened to see it when it came out, the, this um, radiocarbon dating report. And even back then I noticed when the actual, there's a little corner where they've got the statistics in a table there, and there was a discrepancy there because the if you if you compare the the results of the of the different laboratories that tested it then the a statistical test would imply that there was very little chance that they'd actually dated cloth of the same age in fact you could say at the the 95% as you say scientifically 95% confidence level that they they probably didn't um and it was actually some pioneering work by uh, a, a couple in the in the states Sue Benford and, and Joe Marino who actually found evidence that, that it was actually the the part that they chose to to do the dating from a court was a corner of the cloth that had been one of the most damaged over time because of course it would be at the corners that the, the shroud had been held when it was on display and and uh, of course um there was always the temptation for curators of the shroud to to break little bits off to 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 sell as as relics or whatever and um and it appeared that that it actually been reweave a reweave had been done to to mend it at, at some time where this damage had been such that there was actually more modern material in in that corner than there was actually the original material now um one of the scientists from uh, Los Alamos, uh, Raymond Rogers, who was a, a, a chemist at, at Los Alamos Laboratories, he uh, had, when he looked at the shroud, he said, you know, there's no way uh, a forger could have made this, but then being, you know, scientific and so on and wanting to believe what the evidence said at first, when he heard about the carbon data, he thought, oh, well, maybe it is medieval if that's what you have, we have to believe what the science says, but, but he heard Benford and Marino were, were um, suggesting it was a reweave that had caused this mistaken age, that the part that had been tested wasn't representative of the rest of the class. And so he said, well, I've got the, he still had some samples left of the, of uh, from near the corner that had been dated as well as from other parts of the shroud. And he said, well, I've got the material to prove these, called them fringe uh, people to prove them wrong in five minutes and so he did the test and then he he went on on record and, and wrote a, a paper in a peer-reviewed scientific journal called Thermochemica Actor as well as recording a video uh, before he died to to say that I set out to prove them wrong I've ended up proving them right because he found that it was chemically completely different the part the corner that was had the radiocarbon dating was completely different to the to the rest of the cloth and and so um you know many of us have been have been sort of lobbying the church to to try and get uh, uh, another another carbon dating done but uh, to no avail so far okay so um let's see so you know, we might as well just start uh talking a little, little bit about Yes, some of the evidence that you've already brought up, like you know, you've mentioned a couple of times the uh, pollen found on it. Uh, you know, the pollen uh, mm -hmm. does date to you know like a March-April time period, so uh, that would fit in with you know, you know, like the Easter. Uh, uh, time period, but yeah, 
Or yeah, Passover uh, as it was then. Yeah. Right. 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 And uh, a little earlier, you, you, you mentioned that this uh, a person seemed to have lived uh, between six BC and Mm. Between six and sixty-six AD. The reason for that right. is is sorry. Um, the the reason for for suggesting that is because, generally speaking, of course, this this man who whose image we see on the shroud and whose blood we see on the shroud was a victim of of Roman torture and crucifixion. And usually, what the when the Romans crucified people, they they left them to rot basically for the for the wild animals and birds to 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 get at their their flesh and and so on the idea was for it to be a deterrent to everyone not to to go against roman law but there was in uh, there's evidence that the the man who whose image we see on the shroud, shroud was uh, in the, the the an area known as, as judea which was an era under under roman occupation but there was a, a sort of figurehead, if you like, uh, uh, who was a, um, a, a Jewish leader there as well. And uh, the, um, they, to keep the peace, the, the Romans um, agreed to allow the local people who were uh, mostly Jewish to, to be able to have their, keep their, their custom. So the Romans didn't, didn't stop killing and crucifying people, but they did at least let people give them the burial according to their traditions, which, as many people know, uh, in the the the, the Jewish uh, tradition, is a, 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 supposed to be a, a burial very quickly after after someone has died. And so, the fact that this was a victim of Roman crucifixion, who was buried quickly, and the reason why we know he's buried quickly, is because. Uh, although he must have been dead when he was wrapped in the shroud, and we know that because it, otherwise it would be completely covered in blood if he'd still been bleeding, but there is some blood stains on there, which means according to some uh, empirical work that was done by a Dr. Gilbert Lavoie, a, a physician in, in, in Boston in the, in the States, um, it must have been within about a maximum of, of two hours after the, uh, the body had died, after the man had died, that the the body was wrapped in the in the cloth, because after that, the even in humid conditions, the uh, the blood will have dried too much to allow transfer of stains onto the cloth. Okay, and you also uh, make a interesting point about the limestone uh, uh, mm. uh, dust that was uh, particles that were found on the yeah. shroud as well. Although I'm, I'm a bit cautious about how much weight I attached it to that. But there, there, there is because there, there is some suggestion from some research that was done that the limestone is is characteristic of of, of Jerusalem. Limestone, although that particular, there's plenty of other evidence that does put, put the shroud uh, to have been there, but I just wasn't totally convinced that uh, that those researchers had done what we call in science sufficient controls, that they had mm-hmm. um, they had uh, samples from enough places to say that okay, it, it does look like Jerusalem, but if we compare it to other limestones, it 
it's very different from them. So it's not enough just to say it looks like Jerusalem limestone. You have to show, if you want to say it's from there, that it's um, that it's not like limestone from from other places. And and uh, as far as I could tell from that, they hadn't shown that very strongly enough. Well, they they may have seen it, but 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 not put enough of the evidence in their paper, which is tantamount to to not having demonstrated it really fully. Um, but that's I don't rely on that particular piece of evidence to to locate the, the the shroud there there's plenty of other evidence that does okay well you, know, you do say it's uh preliminary evidence but it, you know mm. it's uh you know, it is uh it, it, interesting to look at that possibility and you know and you were also talking about you know the microscopic you know like pollen uh uh, molecules as well that were found. You know, it's just you know mm. really interesting how yeah uh, you know, mm. science has detected. Yes. The, the, well, there's a, there was a book by a professor Avinoam Danin who uh, was a professor at. Uh, the uh, Hebrew University of Jerusalem, who wrote a book called Botany of the Shroud, where, and he uh, sort of presents the evidence in, in presented the evidence in his book that uh, that if you triangulate all the pollens that were were found on there, it does point to it having been uh, exposed to the elements in uh, in or around Jerusalem in in March or April. Yeah. Wow. I might, uh, that sounds like an, another book we have to get. Mm-hmm. But, um, okay. So, and can, can you explain the um, oxidation and the h- hydration aspect of the? Um, well, basically. Basically, uh, that, that that's what happens. That's what makes paper turn yellow uh, when it's exposed to sunlight. Oxidation and and dehydration. And um, it, it, when the the chemical studies were done on the the surface fibrils of the linen, it appeared to be the the same thing that that has happened there. That's what's that's what causes the image. So uh, it's, it's known as uh, accelerated aging. You know how um, if you oh. leave paper long enough it will turn yellow from mm-hmm. sunlight uh, or ultraviolet light well in this case the being exposed to this radiation from the body of the man has for a, a tiny tiny fraction of a second has 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 made that sort of sudden change in the in the outermost fibrils of the of the cloth okay. Andrew you brought up this um Um, point that I, I did not realize uh, that there's actually a second shroud in Spain. Uh, well, not a shroud. There's a something known as a sudarium of, right. uh, of okay. Oviedo, um, which uh, which has uh, stains, blood stains on. It. it has no image. It has blood stains on it that that many people think. Um, some good work was done on this by a uh, Robert Guskin. Um, that um, 
that that actually uh, when if you fold it around a, a head of a man, then uh, the the blood stains that are on the sudarium seem to many people to coincide with the uh, blood stains that you see on the around the head of the of the man of the shroud. So so many people believe that 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 may have touched the same the same individual and that was the the last time they could have come into contact the shroud and the sudarium was at least as early as around uh, 1600 years ago and probably in in or around uh, Jerusalem so it does it, you know it's just what another yet another piece of evidence that that points to the shroud being that much older than the the carbon dating I, I I was not aware of that one until I read your book, and I was like, oh mm-hmm. well, it's it's kind of like a you know, uh, you know, a related piece of fabric. What um, mm-hmm. that that was uh, really cool to read. So um, it you know from the. Images of the the uh, uh, man, you know, it, it, it's almost like a uh, uh, crime scene I- I- investigation where you know, you know you're drawing our attention to uh, like the the uh, blood stains uh, uh, going down the uh, forearms to the. Uh, Elbows. Can, can you tell us a little bit about what all that means as well, we examine yeah. the, the body as it is dying? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, um, it, it all is consistent with the fact that it, it runs throughout the recently deceased body of a man who had been t- tortured, whipped, and crucified, and the, it shows that the blood was coming uh, not as as you see on on paintings and so on from the hands, but actually from the wrists. And and this is what we know from, uh, which wasn't known in medieval times, but we do know now that the the hands wouldn't have been able to um, to to support the weight of the body. So it makes sense that it that it actually it would have been the wrists. And and again, uh, it was Dr. Lavoie who who drew my attention to the fact that uh, there are what's known as off-image stains. So, so there's a blood stain that's near the elbow, but not actually co- coinciding with the image of the elbow. And, and this, when you think about it, would be uh, consistent with the fact that when the, there are two different two different events here. One is that the uh, formation of the blood stains, which is a simple contact process when mm-hmm. the body of the man was lying flat uh, on his back after after he died and the, the shroud was, was wrapped around him. And there's a second process that happened whereby the image was formed and that was sometime after he had died. And now at that time, the the it looks as, the, as though the, the cloth is actually stretched out and, and flat in a planar aspect in front of and and behind the 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 what would have been the, the as I explained in the book the vertical body of the man when the image formed, and so for example you have the uh, blood stains that would have been from the the side of the face when the the cloth is is stretched flat as it were they're superimposed on the image of the of the hair, and this is the fascinating thing that it it looks as though 
that the when the when the image formed the body was no longer lying flat on its back but was somehow upright and strange as it may sound was actually suspended in the air upright because the hair is is going straight down it's not it's not going behind the body it's going straight down onto the shoulders and the the muscles of the behind the the back and the buttocks and the calves and so on are not flattened as they would have been if if he'd been lying down supine and and yet if you look at the position of the feet they're they're not the same at the same level so it doesn't look like he was he was standing it looks like he was upright and suspended above the ground and now this is the amazing thing because this would not this has only become apparent using 20th and 21st century technological research methods and wouldn't have been known about in in medieval times for example but is amazingly consistent with anecdotal reports of what happened during the lifetime of Jesus of Nazareth. For example, reports of him, him walking on the water and of him seeing, being seen to rise above the ground and, and his, his shining like the, like the sun at some points, according to, according to reported witnesses. Now, that's the, the fascinating thing, that, that not only does the evidence sort of archaeologically, forensically, and historically point to it having been this, this in particular individual. You see on the physical evidence on the shroud that these events that, that were described to have happened during his lifetime, that they may have actually, that may have actually been real. Maybe it actually did happen because it looks like it happened after death as well, that something amazing happened to, to the body of the man. And you see, the rest of the first two chapters of the book talk about the physical evidence regarding the shroud, but then I go on from there mm -hmm. to say, how was such a thing possible? Because it's, it, for me, it's not enough to, to say, oh, it's a mystery or it's, a, it's a, a miracle or whatever people want to call it. You see, that people think that everything where, where mind affects matter, they call, it, they call it supernatural or magic or whatever. But to me, that that doesn't really make sense to think in that way because if you think about it if we have such a thing as freedom of will which you know we all live whether we notionally believe we do or not we all live our lives assuming that we do and assuming that others do otherwise why do people deserve credit or or get blamed for things that they do wrong if they they were going to do it anyway they we we consider that people make free decisions what they're going to do with their mind which means that their mind is influencing matter otherwise how can they make free choices and of course then there's the the evidence from quantum physics that that mind is actually fundamental it's not a derivative of matter but that matter only takes on reality because of the observer now there's a, a very eminent uh, professor of physics at stanford university called called andre linda who was so convinced by the evidence that consciousness must be fundamental and ha had to have uh, played a role in making space-time and, and matter happen, that he actually wrote a, a section on this in his, in his textbook that he wrote, which is the leading textbook on inflationary cosmology. And uh, there's an interview that he, that he did uh, where um, he, he mentions that at the time he included that, his publisher said to him, you know, if you put that in your book, you're going to lose, you might lose the respect of your readers and your colleagues. And he said, if I don't put it in, I'll lose my self-respect. And then there's, 
Eugene Wigner, who's one of the is a Nobel laureate quantum physicist, one of the you know leading, uh, who was one of the when he was alive one of the leading researchers in in, in quantum physics, and and he has put he put in writing that basically how can we possibly think that consciousness doesn't influence matter when all of our experience from science says that if there is an influence from A to B, there has to be one from B to A as well. That if we know that, that matter is affecting consciousness, then consciousness must be able to affect matter. And so, I mean, that, that everyone assume, so many people assume that science is, that people who, who know the evidence from science will become materialistic and assume that, that we're just lumps of flesh and piles of atoms and, and cells. But actually, what they, a lot of people don't realize is it's the science itself that points beyond that and says that a human being is far more than, than that. And a human being is something of greater significance than all of the galaxies and uh, physical objects that you can see when you look out at the universe. Okay, and you know you, you cover some of this um, space and time and separate. You know, we're kind of getting into the uh, quantum physics uh, part of the show. Can, can you explain <clears throat> what you mean by that? Um, you know, like the. the S separation and indeed uh, yeah. okay yeah well i mean basically when if you think of the near-death experiences uh, and uh when people are they're they're in cardiac arrest their brain waves are flat and often one of the first things that that people perceive during that time is this immensely bright light and they and they have this sense this knowledge they as they described it that within that light is all knowledge and wisdom and all all compassion that they somehow feel loved by that light and and that the people that they care about are, are somehow are somehow in that light there now you see this is fascinating because the, if you uh, read the writings of uh, Professor David Bohm, the uh, was also a, a quantum physicist. He made the point that uh, to light, and this is this is just uh, this is basic uh, relativity physics now, that uh, at the speed of light, that the distance and duration of time become become zero. So, you, if you if you could be a light beam. According to Einstein's equations, which have been proven correct in so many different ways now, if you could actually be that light beam, then you would get to where you're going instantly and there's no distance to where you're going. In other words, light uh, joins together points that appear to be to be separate in space. Now, if you think about it, space is just simply another word for, for separation. You, you don't have space unless things are, are separate and you can't have separation unless you have space or room for that separation to be. So it would make sense then that light, if, if, you, like, if you like, is the interface between our separate state as individual beings and our full potential. If we all became completely limitless and reached our, our full potential of perfect 
wisdom, if you like, there'll be nothing to demarcate the difference between between one person and another. And I think that's what Jesus was alluding to when, you know, he said, love your neighbor as yourself, that fundamentally, at a fundamental level, your neighbor is yourself, and that that in, within that light that people experience in, in near-death experiences, which may be, in fact, the same light that produced the, the image on the shroud through how the, the body changed as a result of how that man had, had lived, within that light, we are, we are all one. And so that's why uh, the, the, the way of living that he spoke about of, of forgiving, loving your enemies, loving your, it's not a religious thing at all. It's, it's simple reason and sense. It's the most rational way to, way to be. And that in this physical universe, everything is being broken apart by, by something that physicists call the, the second law of thermodynamics. Everything goes into greater and greater states of chaos. But we have something, there is some component of us, if you like, as living sentient beings that has no beginning or end and needn't break apart. And the clue to how that can best be preserved is by it not being fragmented and broken and becoming lesser by separating in selfishness, but, but through recognizing the, the limitless value of, of all of all other beings and our, ourselves, if we really live out of that recognition, then even our, our atoms themselves might change as the atoms of the, the body of the man in the shroud changed when the, when the image formed. And so basically separation is, is if you like, a, a consequence of, of ignorance of us not having that wisdom and each of us having our own our own patterns of, of restriction that mark us out as, as individuals. And that if we undo those knots, those restrictions, those limits, through recognition of, of the value and grandeur of all sentient being and live out of that recognition because of that recognition and in what we do and how we are, then we we needn't be bound in in, in physical bodies. Basically, there's, there's a lot of evidence that I allude to in the book that lots of people, when they have those NDEs, uh, that they say that they they weren't able to become part of that light. And of course, they they came back to their bodies because they were they were resuscitated. But had they not come back to their bodies, perhaps they there is some. I believe there is something to this rationally this notion of of reincarnation that that mm-hmm. we, if we don't become fully that light, if we still have shadow and limit and restriction, then we that plays it out in, in, in other incarnations unless we unless we learn and are able to undo those restrictions and then and then we, we come back again. Uh, so uh, and so it seems to me that that basically what the man of the shroud was showing us was and was how we can avoid needing to keep coming back into this physical universe where everything's breaking apart and there's so much suffering and 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 decay and so on as he said you know that this is a world where there's moths and rust and thieves that break in and steal but there's but there's another way of being where there is no entropy where there is no second law of thermodynamics where where you are eternal and again that's not a platitude it's not a religious thing this is this is reason this is sense and this is as now 
you know, 2,000 years later is, is backed up by science. Yeah, and Andrew, you were you know, just talking about, um, you know, going into uh, the light and, you know, probably made uh, more famous with, you know, poltergeist and, you know, Carol Ann, don't go into the light, you know, that, 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 that scene. But, you know, you, you do cover that uh, those who have experienced that, you know, a near, near death experience, uh, you know, that, that they, uh, you know, when they uh, return to uh, consciousness, that they experienced a uh, sense of empathy, and you know that's going to be one of our topics uh, next mm -hmm. week. Uh, but that making a sudden realization, uh, you know, have, having that uh, overpowering uh, feeling. Does fit in with you know what also with what you're saying with the um, uh, love your neighbor. So you know those you know couple little uh, um, topics that you just d discussed does go back to the possibility that. Yeah, you know, the the shroud, you know, the shroud really may have been the the one that uh, uh, did enclose uh, Jesus. Mm. Mm. Oh yeah, well, I, I'm I'm convinced of it by all the evidence that that I've looked at. Yeah, that it was. Okay, and it's a, it, and it, 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 um. And just looking over my notes here, and what what are the implications of the evidence on the shroud for our understanding of the uh, concept of uh, reincarnation? And, and well, there's also uh, reanimation as as well uh, with, with with this uh, shroud topic. Well, um, I mean, I, if you you look at what was reported about what the Jesus Nazareth spoke about during his his lifetime, um, then uh, you know some of it is to be found in, for example, in in, in Gnostic Gospels and so on that that weren't included in in what we know it's the now is the the new testament but also even within the new testament um there's an interesting interesting uh, conversation that's re reported where um jesus is asking the disciples uh, who people say that he is and someone says well um some people say that uh, for the before the the messiah comes then elias or elijah has to come back and uh, Jesus is reported to have said to them, "Well, I tell you, he did come back, and you didn't recognize him." And and then the, the text says that they understood that he was talking to them about 
about John the Baptist. Now, that's an interesting one, isn't it? Because how would Elias have, have come back as John the Baptist unless they accepted or unless he'd already told them or that he uh, did consider that the notion of reincarnation was true? In fact, all major religions have, have uh, at some point had that as, as part of their belief system that that reincarnation is is a is a is a real thing and it it sort of makes sense just from a logical point of view that it that it would be but he was actually i think showing us a way that we uh, of a way of of being that would have the consequence that we can avoid having to come back if you like uh although you know there's still of course the possibility that uh perhaps like 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 he did if 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 you were if you didn't need to come back but you still cared you, maybe you would still come back because you want to you know help the the other people who are left behind so to speak okay and since since we're talking about um reincarnation it, you know you do make the interesting point about um you know, REM sleep and, you know, right. However, we only tend to remember the dream if we wake during that particular instance of REM sleep. Um, yeah. Y- y- you know, how, that seems to be a, a little bit more evidence there of the uniqueness of this per- person who formed the image on the shroud. Well, I, I mean, I was um, basically in that little bit snippet of the book that you mentioned. I was sort of making some speculations about why it might be that that we don't that we usually the people don't usually remember past lives, but people who who uh, who have remembered them have often been people who uh, who were died suddenly and often violently. During the life which they which they remember, and then somehow they bring that memory into their into their next or, or subsequent life. And the ones where people have, have there's been many many documented cases where people children, for example, remembered the person that they used to be, and uh, they've remembered very specific facts about them and that they couldn't have possibly known about in in their current lifetime. And it's been it's been verified. And usually it seems to be when they previously died in the life before, sort of suddenly and, and, and unexpectedly. So I was just sort of speculating maybe that's the way that, that memory works. That for example, we, you know, with, with, with dreams that in sleep laboratories, you find that you will remember the dream if you're woken during it, but, but there are many other dreams that happen during the night when, which you don't, which you don't remember that, that, that was all. Although of course, I just have to be be careful that I'm making it clear that I'm not suggesting that. Uh, in fact, I put this in my in my final chapter, which is what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that that life is just some kind of mirage or or a dream. Unfortunately, it's uh, it's very real, and the, the suffering that you know that that many people on Earth uh, are going through, uh, poverty and and so on, is is a very is a very real thing. Um, but in terms of the the question about dreams was just used specifically about looking at how memory works and how that might relate to how memory might uh, only 
under certain specific circumstances be carried over consciously into future life. Yeah, and, and those phone calls uh, were not from the Vatican. <laughs> it was more related to mom needing gallon of milk, but you know, oh, I see. I'll, I'll take care take care of that shortly. But um, um, hmm. it, you know, so, so much has been focused on the front of the uh, uh, shroud. But, uh, you know, really, you're about the only uh, author that's you know, gone into uh, a lot of detail about the back, uh, 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 which, uh, you know, that's uh, just as uh, interesting uh, with the, you know, the uh, whiplashes across the back and as well as the uh, large contusion? I, I think um, actually lots of other people have written about the image of the back of the body as well. I, I think um, where this book is, is, is different is that I'm sort of suggesting a way that might might tie in how the, the image could have formed with a, a, a suggestion of to consider about how how mind and matter might be related and and what this might might tell us about ourselves as as human beings and also the other one of the other main themes of the book in the modern day where uh, science and technology is is going appears to be going headlong towards you know, trying to develop artificial intelligence and all these crazy ideas of, of so-called mind uploading that people uh, mm-hmm. who have lost sight of any, uh, you know, sense of eternity beyond the atom. And so they want to try to uh, to upload their mind into a machine and I'm just sort of making a, a rational cogent argument in the book why that's not possible, that you can't, that we are not made of information you can't you can't make a person into a string of ones and zeros that won't be you and you know it's very dangerous in fact many very learned people such as for example uh, Stephen Hawking and also uh, Lord Martin Rees is the the, um, the professor of, of astronomy who was the astronomer royal in, uh, in 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 the UK has made the point that that actually uh, if the, the what he calls the period of what we know as organic intelligence, and by organic it means sort of living biological beings with intelligence, may be quite a short time. That once once we develop technology, that it won't be long until we are actually replaced by machines. You know, people often say to me as a as a as a doctor, because I'm a medical doctor, they say, um, you know, of course one day people won't be going to see uh, human doctors anymore. They'll just go and see machines instead. And, and I point out that, uh, you know, sadly, it's not just the, the doctors that, that would be replaced by machines, it's the patients as well, that, that it's actually that people like uh, Hawking and, uh, and Martin Rees have, have said that if we had contact from uh, extraterrestrial 
being, it would probably not be living biological being because the as soon as you get advanced technology, it's not long until there is no living being anymore until the the machines and the what you the technology that you make actually replaces you and it's not through any malice or um or because it wants to cause you you harm because it's it's not capable of malice any more than it's capable of compassion it's not capable of any emotion it's just that it's an unanticipated consequence but a lot of science writers have said for example that you program these androids to to try and prevent all human suffering and of course the the simplest way for a for a machine that has no sense of conscience or or meaning or or, or value or purpose that the simplest way to prevent any form of human suffering is to wipe out wipe out all human beings because if they're not there they can't suffer and but the people programming them wouldn't wouldn't think of that. So, what I uh, large part of the book is is pointing to the to the dangers that are inherent in in following the technological path. Unless we we need to always be cognizant and remember what a human being is and why why that is so vital and 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 valuable. And and only through through recognizing that and and recognizing our own value and the value of all all other living human beings that's the way that we might be able to prevent what's otherwise going to be the very rapid in in sort of generation terms a very rapid end of our of our species in fact one of uh, martin reese's books was called our final century referring to the 21st century in which he says you know are there really going to be living human beings anymore in the in the in the 22nd no, it's up to us, really, as human beings, to to not to allow these the transhumanism, uploading, and all this kind of silliness to to have hold sway in our world. And, and I, I do think that you know, humanitarian uh, view does uh, come across in you know very. Uh, plainly in uh, your book, and, and it's just uh, backed up by some of the parables as well. You know, we were, you know spoke about you know like uh, uh, you know love your neighbor and uh, uh, you know a couple other ones similar to that. It, 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 it yeah, was... the interesting one about that, of course, is you said love your neighbor as yourself. That that at a fundamental level, your neighbor is yourself. That 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 where we where we come from, as uh, you know, in, in originally as living sentient beings, we we all have the the same the same source originally, and uh, we've just become much more distant and, and uh, divided and, and limited and restricted so that we're no longer reflecting that that origin that that, that we all had and but if we if we were to to recognize that if we were to recognize like you said you know is it not written you are gods that that's the the, the potential of, of any human being uh, is you know whether they're whether they're a, a king or a, a pauper every single human being has the potential to be of great, far greater significance than the whole physical universe. Yeah, and 
you know, uh, uh, another parable that y- y- you know you worked in uh, from Matthew chapter twenty-four, verse uh, twenty-seven is uh, it says, "For as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth." Even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. And in the passages, uh, covering the like suddenness of you know lightning. Uh, yeah, I, I mean directions. Uh, yeah. 20 centuries ago, how would he have, have um, explained to people that, that when he came back after he had died, that it would be a, a burst of light from from his body would happen? Uh, the only burst of light that they would have known about, remembering they didn't have flash bulbs in those days, right. <laughs> was lightning. Yeah. And uh, so... So yeah, so that's a how a very simple way that he could have got across to them. Perhaps he was describing the moment that the the shroud image formed, and perhaps that was the moment that he did come back. Yeah, and it, yeah, that does fit in with this uh, burst of energy uh, leaves the singe on on the fabric and the the, what I thought was really fascinating point that you bring up is the images that we see were done in a a two stage process and you you touched on that yeah so the the um, blood stains happened uh, shortly after the man had had died, and then the image formed sometime sometime after that. Um, and the at, at that point, it appears that the body was vertical. It's not quite a singe. It's a, although it's very bright and intense. It's a much gentler process than that, if you like, because the the uh, the surface fibres are not actually burnt. It's just they they have a it's like a a, a tan if you like <laughs> that they, it's okay. the the effect of the sudden uh, it's a very intense very short burst of ultraviolet light not sufficient to to burn through the cloth or to burn it at all but just that um, if you if you leave the cloth out for years in sunlight it will turn yellowish but all of those years of sunlight if you like were happened in in you know a few billionths of a second if that's the best way to to, to imagine it that there was a, a, or that sudden very very bright uh, burst of intense radiant energy that went forwards and backwards from the body of the man that was that was wrapped in the in the shroud uh, and that may be what he was alluding to with his description of the of the lightning from east to west right and the canning that that, that you're talking about does not uh, uh pe- penetrate through the blood stain so uh, the, you, know, no. you bring up mm. that, that point or uh, uh, Okay, I'll, I'll start, uh, correct me then. 
Yeah, it it doesn't penetrate through the oh. bloodstains, which is which is interesting because that it shows that um, in fact it doesn't penetrate through the the fibres. It's only on the very outermost surface fibrils uh, because the the bloodstains are, are opaque to to ultraviolet light, and even the the fibres of the of the linen are. Uh, only allow it through a tiny distance, one five thousandth of a millimeter before they also uh, before they also absorb it. But that's the fascinating thing is that because there's no image under the bloodstains, it means that the the bloodstains happen before the image, which means that the body was already dead before this event happened that, that formed the image. It's just fascinating. So it's mm. it, it, it's a it, it was done in two stages. Yes. Well, um, any, any dead body, if, it's, uh, if there's still damp blood stains on it, if you wrap it in something, then then blood stains will form on the thing that you you wrap it in. So that's a simple process that that is or is not really in dispute. Um, but the the, the the important thing about it is that the specific forensic aspects of the bloodstain do tie it in with this one individual in history of Jesus of Nazareth and you know the, the terrible tortures that the, the Romans did to him the, the Roman soldiers and uh, and the, the crucifixion and, and the cap of thorns and so on uh, and even the, the the fact that he was stabbed in the in the in the side as well it's also there's forensic evidence of that on the the shroud but the the unique thing as well is the is the image formation because we've got there's no other object that's ever been found you know in archaeology that has anything like this this image and and nobody no matter how much they've tried uh people like Gala Shelley and so on and uh they they they've mostly been honest enough actually to be fair to them to say that you know when people say but if you look at it microscopically it's nothing like the shroud image and and they 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 do mostly sort of admit that well they have to really because it's it's blatantly apparent to anyone who looks okay it it, it, it is it, since you just uh, uh, mentioned the um, um, the stab wound, uh, 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 what uh, what was the, um, the, the there was unusual uh, uh, substances found near. Yeah, it, it looks like um, there's a, a, a clear fluid that mixed with the blood, and that, which may have been what we, we know uh, sort of anatomically as, as uh, pleural fluid, possibly, um, that which is what you would expect from uh, you know uh, a stab wound that's that's puncturing the the, the pleural cavity, which it would have done. Which it, the pleura is just a, a membrane that, that that sits around the the lungs and the the diaphragm of the of the body between the chest and the and the abdomen. Okay, so yeah, that's consistent with the uh, when when Jesus was uh, stabbed with the spear, the uh, mm. water came out. Yeah, yeah. So it would have looked it looked a little bit like like water because. Um, you know, people 
that that because it's a, a clearish fluid. Yeah. Okay, and you know, bring in more the uh, science is that you know, as you discuss the radiant energy you also work in the uh, Bose-Einstein condensate uh, can, can you explain that for our, our, our listeners you know, it's an interesting uh, phenomenon to interject yeah, sure. yeah. well a Bose-Einstein condensate basically um, what that means is that uh, in uh, quantum physics you have this thing called uh, entanglement where uh, separate uh, particles or uh, uh, can be in some way uh, connected to together without being in 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 physical contact so to speak uh, so that um, this are things that people can can look up and, and read about so for example the the processes like a, a, a superconductor or um, something that's known as a, a superfluid which is um, something that um, that basically all of the the, the molecules or atoms uh, move and, and function together without without resistance. So a superfluid can 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 rise up above the the wall of a um, of a, a vessel and so on that it's contained within and and superconduction. The electrons pair up and they so they move through the superconducting material without any electrical. Um, resistance and and so that the 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 several different parts can all can all function together so that uh basically uh we're trying to to understand how you see for a long time it was thought that these that these quantum processes of of large amounts of material all, all functioning together that that only happened at very very cold temperatures, when you you take out the the shaking, if you like, of all the the, uh, the thermal movements of the of the molecules, but it has been found that uh, there are certain biological processes, for example, um, the ones that uh, allow uh, birds to navigate, uh, and even photosynthesis and various other things, where it shows that at at the body temperature, even you do get sort of processes happening in 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 such a way. It just seems that uh, I explain in, in more detail in the book, but it's not. You don't need to sort of study a lot of um, physics to 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 get to get to grips with it. But basically, that um, that the that the I'm trying to understand how the the body. Uh, which was horizontal when the bloodstains formed, and how it came to be vertical at the moment that the that the actual image formed. That all as a piece, as it were, that the whole body together was. Uh, see, there's a process known as known as tunneling, which um, whereby uh, a quantum particle can. Uh, get through a, a barrier that it shouldn't be able to get through. It's not strictly speaking; it doesn't get through, but it starts off on one side of it and it ends up on the on the other side of it because it's not actually uh, quite uh, a solid object as we think of it. Like you know, this old idea of atoms and molecules as as little uh, round objects or or, or tied together. That actually, 
it's it's mind that that gives it reality but until it's actually observed if, if people want to to read up about the the two slit experiment for example that uh an ele electron or a photon can as it were be go go two different ways uh, uh, as, as though it were going two different ways at once to be able to 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 explain the what we what we find about it and the the same a similar sort of process may have been at work at the time that the around the time that the shroud image formed okay so so as we've examined yeah uh a little bit of the dying process and and you know the near de death experience um you know you also uh you know br bring up that uh you know if consciousness is e eternal like where were we before we were born and where are we going afterwards yes so Basically, the point that I make in the in the book is that, and this is something that that Schrodinger himself, the one of the founders of quantum theory, alluded to, that that time is actually a product of consciousness. That that all the equations of physics, none of them actually account for why there should be a now, a, a present, like as we experience it, and or a so-called uh, flow of time, the sense that that the future the past has happened and the future isn't there yet that uh, in the equations of science it's as though the whole thing would be there altogether but it's the observer it's the consciousness that that makes that time happen that makes there be a now and it follows from that 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 if we make time then time didn't make and cannot unmake us in terms of our our consciousness so in other words we have no we have no beginning or end. And by we, I don't mean our, our physical bodies that we now inhabit, as it were. I mean the stream of consciousness that we're now experiencing in this moment now, as, as I'm talking to you and people are listening and, and I'm listening to you and so on. So uh, basically, the, we didn't begin and, and we, need not, we need not end. And in terms of where we would have been before, well... It, it seems to me to stand to reason that uh, that there has to be an explanation. I've always of, of how we come to be how we are, and people talk about the nature and and uh, nurture debate. Well, um, you know how much of it is is genes and how much of it is our environment. But I've always said that to me, it's more like nature, nurture, and a third element, which is actually neither of those two things, and that neither may be partly what we bring in from our, our, our subconscious memory, from what we've done and experienced in perhaps in, in, in past lives, together with the choices that we're making now, because some of what we do and what we are is, is a product of, of course, of the, the choices that we make. And those choices that if we uh, live in a way that the, the man of the shroud was, was demonstrating, then perhaps if we were able to do that enough, then we need not be part of that this cycle of coming back and dying and coming back and, and so on. But as long as there is limitation and restriction, as long as there are things that divide, like 
selfishness, materialism, racism, all the things that make make us smaller, if you like, as, as human beings, less than our full potential because our, we're not able to learn from our, our fellow man to, to be able to form a sort of wisdom that is all-encompassing. And if we were to do that, then we wouldn't need, perhaps need to come back. But if as, as the ignorance that we perpetuate will tend to mean that we that we do need to come back of course that relies on there being somewhere for us to come back to and uh of course if if the the trends that are happening now technologically and so on in terms of transhumanism and this vogue for what people wanting to try to develop mind uploading there may not be anywhere for us to to come back to you know in which case then we're, we're sort of we're stuck we don't stop existing but we, we don't actually have anywhere uh, you know where to to be born as it were so all the more reason why we need to to value humanity and its and its potential in in all human beings and to recognize that that there's something in in everyone however you know, whatever, where, whatever their their background, nationality, religion, race, whatever, that is is bigger than the universe, and and that's why I think that's that's basically what people like Jesus, not just him, you know, the, the Buddha and and other other great teachers, uh, like uh, people like Muhammad and many other people in in history have been trying to to say that we should we should recognize and value all human beings. And, and if we do that enough, then our, our future is, is secure. That's what, and that's what Jesus was, I think, referring to as, as eternal life. Okay. And, and uh, taking the eternal life theme uh, a little bit further, uh, and you also cover uh, you know, the Big Bang Theory, and that's you know you have a little bit of everything and uh, a burst of conscious light. Um, you, you, you know how 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 does this the the shroud almost seems like a uh, mini recreation of the big bang well i think yeah some uh, some people say that now um i i don't see it quite like that myself the the big bang is if you like the 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 beginning of 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 separation the beginning of of space time and matter and uh the it, it the I'm I'm fascinated by what's on the other side of that singularity, if you like, where there's no matter, space, or time, and and that's where I believe this this state of of being that has no limit that that Jesus I think is what he was referring to as as the Father, if you like, that the the state where we we are all completely without limit and in complete wisdom and, and compassion and that the big bangs happen as we become less than that that as we become limited and and restricted and then you start to have uh 
matter and and force whereas i i talk about in the in the book about what i call the the mind matter continuum mm -hmm. basically uh matter is a construct of, of force that is only it's only as uh, as heisenberg said that matter is basically a a, a world of of possibilities and, and potentialities that's all it, it actually is until as as the quantum theory shows it's actually consciousness that makes it that makes it actually real in interacting with those with those possibilities but matter is is a derivative of enforcement and what we have as sentient beings is we have freedom of choice okay which is if you like unenforcedness if you like that uh, the choice free choice is the one thing in this universe that isn't determined by something outside it so it's what i refer to in the book as as primary causation and the more restricted we become the more material materially derived we we get and the more we we lose our uh, the potential of what we of what we could have been hmm. that's a lot to think about um and it just see this unlimited potential seems like that's what we have at this moment where the person goes from a supine position to it, – it, 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 it's not really a standing uh, – uh, you, you know, draw attention to the feet as yeah. well as ha uh, hair hanging uh, straight down. Down on the shoulders, yeah. Yeah, uh, and uh, – uh, you know the calves and you know the back aren't uh, 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 flat. Yeah, so it, it, it's just all this. Uh, it, it's like one movement from supine to a floating position, and you get the burst mm. of uh, light, and mm. uh, uh, and it, it's. Seems like it, it, this person, you know, whether it's Jesus or I don't know, I don't, I don't know who else it uh, really could be, but mm. th there's just th th this uh, message about um, living, you know, a uh, 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 free will, yeah, just. There's some kind of a real, uh, powerful message about there's uh, an infinity still ahead of us. So can, hmm. can you tell us like the, the meaning of the feet while uh, NSA and the Vatican calls again? <laughs> 
Well, I'm not really sort of. It's not so much a meaning of the of the feet, just that the that the position of the feet suggests that the uh, that the body was upright and floating above the ground. As strange as it may sound, that's what the physical evidence suggests. That that's how the 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 body was at the at the at the moment that the that the image formed. Uh, and um, now the interesting thing is that in the store the sort of uh, reported history of the of the particular individual Jesus of Nazareth, you know, the the where it said that he walked on the water, that this 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 friend called Peter um, is also said to have walked on the water. And the fasc most fascinating thing about that is that it, it said that at one point Peter started to sink when he started to to doubt that he could that he could be doing what he was doing. Now that seems to imply that somehow that the orientation of mind acts, if you like, like a valve that allows or or, or disallows this. And I think the best word for it, and the word that that he that Jesus himself used, is peace that allows that peace into that unenforcedness which can actually lighten the the very atoms of the body such that it was possible to, for him to be to be walking on the water and this idea of of doubt and so on is just the restriction that we're that we're not allowing that that peace into us okay there this is just just really fascinating. So, and you know, you know, you know, we've spoken a lot about you know, you know, the front and some of the back of the shroud. Um, one of the um, parts of the body that really isn't covered is uh, the top of the head. Yes, because the the image of the front and back of the body is, uh, if if what I'm suggesting is correct, that the light was uh, basically uh, emanating in in one axis, if you like. If the body was vertical, I call it forwards and backwards. The light it wasn't going upwards or sideways. So that's why what you actually where the top of the head is, the what you can see on the cloth there between the image of the front and the image of the back of the body, there's just a, a water stain there. There is no image of the head, uh, exactly as oh. as you say, and that would be in keeping with this notion that I'm suggesting that that if the body was was aligned as it as it was as the force within it was being undone and it was lining up uh, in the the uh, the gravitational and magnetic force lines, and then releasing the the light that came from it in the the third the third axis. So, if you like, um, there's the up down axis from the the top of the head to the feet. There's the north south axis, which is effectively the the left and the right. And then the the light that emanated from the body is going east and west. Um, hence his what he said about that when he came back, it would be like a, a bolt of lightning that shines right from the east into the west. Amazing. It, 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 uh, you know, you know, the, the, you know, the story of the shrouds, the, this uh, burst of energy 
uh, it does not. It, it, it you know, you're making it sound uh, you know very plausible. It you know, but we, you know, we also have other uh, cases of um, spontaneous combustion. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Charles Dickens mentions it in uh, Bleak House. Um, it, it, you know, that's you know, a whole, whole other topic. I, you know, I didn't want to get sidetracked in that, but you know, uh, people, um, you know, you know, there have been mm-hmm. a few documented cases of people just uh, yeah, uh, it's quite, 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 a diff- quite a different thing, and I think re- that it may be a, 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 a physical. Uh, process that, that's going on uh, there that's not really uh, necessarily related to to the mind of the of the individual who 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 was tied. There there have been uh, some uh, scientific research on uh, on on this, this spontaneous combustion process whereby it's to do with the way the the fat in the body um, combusts, like the 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 wax in a, a candle. But there's a whole other topic. But it's not really related to to um to um to what i'm saying about the the shroud image which is which is a completely which is a completely unique thing and it was not formed by the body burning uh, and it, it when it wasn't a scorch and i when i i said like a tan i didn't mean literally like a tan i just meant that um as a tan is the effect of the ultraviolet light on your skin um so the yellowing of of paper or the yellowing of the mm-hmm. um of the of the linen is is the effect of, of ultraviolet light but not from from the sun but from in this case a body that shone brighter than the sun momentarily for a tiny tiny fraction of a of a of a millionth of a of a second and so if you like uh the equivalent of many years of direct sunlight but just like that instantly but not sunlight. But this was this was light from the body. Different mm-hmm. different type of light altogether. Okay. So, it, it, and you, you know, you can rule or you know, like well, we can rule out based on the, the scientific evidence now that uh, Leonardo did not paint this. It's not any kind of. Mm. Uh, medieval forgery. Mm. Uh, mm. Yeah, that's right. Okay, and how does the uh, church view this? Uh, well, they, artifact they, relic. Mm. I mean, uh, they don't really um, have any uh, definite. Um, statement about its veracity or, 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 or not. They say that that's for uh, for scientists to determine. But they uh, unfortunately um, they're not allowing the scientists uh, the access to it to do the the necessary uh, further testing that that should that many of us are arguing should be done uh, now that the carbon dating has been called into question because of the area that they used. For the dating, that it could be there could be a, a further dating from uh, other parts of the cloth to to see the, to uh, what the age comes out as, because there's you know way too much evidence pointing to it being 
far, far earlier than than the date that the carbon dating gave, and the carbon dating just doesn't doesn't hold up uh, when you look at the the fact that the corner that was that was tested is chemically totally different to the rest of the cloth. Okay. Um, yeah, it, it's always like those uh, medieval stories about. Yeah, you know, you know, we do find uh, some examples in, like the Canterbury Tales, with uh, you know, real relics, uh, faked relics. It, it, it's really a fascinating subject. Mm. Of course, for for it was only relatively recently that it it came to the possession of the the the, the Catholic Church. It it was um, in the um, for the quite a while in the um, after it it came to from uh, from Jerusalem and Constantinople and then to to France. Then it was in the possession of the of the the Savoy family, and it was mm-hmm. it was the um, the Duke of Savoy, who bequeathed it to uh, to, the, to the then uh, Pope in his will. Um, so, I mean, to me, it, it's a piece of scientific evidence rather than uh, than a relic. It's a it's an archaeological artifact that that tells tells us a great deal about ourselves as human beings and and what our our full potential could be. Yeah. It, uh... You know, the, the, you know, this su- subject uh, it, uh, may not per- pertain directly to the shroud, but you know, we have you know the shroud, and it's also documented in um, you know the Gospels. But uh, it, you know, ha- ha- have you looked into the uh, ossuaries that were? Uh, uh, I've I've heard of them, yes. Yeah, it, it, it's yeah. There there seems to be a little bit more evidence that there was, um, you know, J- Jesus's family buried in the Talpiot tomb. And now we have the shroud. It's, it seems like when the Crusaders came back from the Holy Land, they had knowledge of something. Uh, yeah, it, yeah. There, it, it just seems like there uh, that with, with the shroud of Turin, well, and, and the one in. Um, uh, Spain, that you know, you know, there is more evidence of a you know, that there was a real person, uh, you know, na- named oh, Jesus. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. There's plenty of evidence that he was there. I would, even you know, if that hadn't been the the shroud, uh, he he was actually mentioned by uh, historians of the of the time, uh, in particular um, Josephus. Uh, refers to refers to him. Yeah, so there's plenty of evidence that he was there, but that the, that he existed. The shroud uh, tells us that um, you know that the there may 
what what was reported to have happened to him in terms of the 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 torch the the Roman torturing and crucifixion that 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 actually unfortunately did happen, um, but that also that after that something magnificent happened as well that the that somehow the the reports of with the people who having seen him after he had died that he'd come back and and spoken to them that you know that that we now uh, if if that body you know got up off the rock and uh the slab and 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 suddenly shone brighter than the the sun and that maybe you know he he was he did come back as he as he said he would and that he did he did actually meet those people and 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 speak to them as uh, they they said he did okay um we you know we have about mm. uh 9 minutes l- yes. left um you know, your uh, book a burst of conscious light is going to be available next next Tuesday. week yeah next next tuesday um mm. so, uh, do you have any you know, public appearances conferences uh, coming up or uh, that, well, on my uh, website, lightoftheshroud.com, are um, the uh, a couple of the presentations that uh, I've done at at uh, conferences. Um, one was uh, at the uh, a shroud conference in in, in St. Louis, uh, and there's another one, uh, a, a talk I gave to. Um, the Society for Scientific Exploration in 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 San Francisco about uh, the, what I've been talking about today about the 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 mind matter continuum and how you know this fascinating subject of how of how time may be a product of uh, of consciousness and and how that may show that we are actually as sentient beings that we have no no beginning or end and and how also again about the 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 dangers of of the technological drift into uh transhumanism and and this this silliness about people trying to upload their minds and and in that talk i explain how such a thing isn't possible that you can never reduce mind to a string of string of ones and zeros and if you if you look at the evidence from the 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 light that formed the shroud then that shows you how the full potential of how we're so much more than just that you know binary mechanical electronic technological stuff that really matter is is merely a a, a byproduct of of consciousness not the other way around that consciousness is our sentience is eternal and the more that we recognize that um, uh, value ourselves and each other out of that that realization then there may be a chance for for humanity to avoid what many scientific commentators have said is likely to be the the end of our species through through the unanticipated consequences of technology yeah and you know you have a number of publications on on the shroud, but you know, in your you know, the references section in your book, uh, you have 
10, uh, 15 pages or so of uh, you know, references, a bibliography. It's like you know, you're you know, researching all different aspects of uh, the, the the shroud and uh, recreating the you know uh, you know time period you know like the uh, you know the Jewish law. Uh, 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 about crucifixion. So, of course, it was the Romans who did the crucifixion, but the, the, it was the, the, the where the Jewish law at the time was relevant is, in, is about um, the practice of burial and how um, the, the, it doesn't look as though the body that the, um, was wrapped in the shroud had, had been washed, and, and that was because he was he was buried according to according to Jewish law at the time. Yeah. Yeah, and. It, you know, it, 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 you know, you have it, – it's not that long of a book, but it, it's a comprehensive view of uh, all the research that's been done uh, so, so far. And I, I think it's just a, a fantastic book, uh, eye-opening eye to you know the, the microscopic research, like the pollen – to you know connecting it to all you know the, you know, the quantum physics it, yeah it's uh, you, basically you did a the, terrific the, job thank you the, the 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 shroud and the fact that the, the the person who it wrapped formed that image is as i say uh a, a clue to the nature and potential of all human beings so in a way it's a it's a book about the the reader and the people around them uh mm -hmm. to um to, it gives a, a, a explanation for how we can understand what we are as human beings, what the nature of our consciousness is, and and what its full potential is. That that, that we uh, we are effectively eternal being that has become caught in in a in a in a physical form, but that that we've been been shown uh, that there's physical evidence from the shroud that that if we live in a in a certain way, that we needn't be restricted. Uh, to to being, uh, if we don't treat people as material objects, if we recognise and respect and and cherish the humanity of of mankind and preserve that, then uh, then there's we needn't follow the the drift of the second law of thermodynamics that will that will destroy us if we if we let it and if we accelerate that through that destruction through through technology. It's saying it's giving a reason why not to, why not to try and upload yourself, why not to try and implant chips in you, <laughs> to yeah, say that uh, your humanity is much bigger than anything that technology can give you. Yeah, uh, we don't need uh, any more the second law of thermodynamics. We we need uh, you know, just uh, you know more empathy, like mm. you, 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 you suggested, and you know we're down to. Uh, Ninety seconds or so. Um, you know, I just, Andrew, I want to you know, th thank you so much for being our guest. You know, you know let you get back to ho holiday, and uh, you know, I just want to recommend to the audience you know, when you know, a burst of conscious light uh, becomes available uh, next week. Uh, yeah, just uh, get 
get a copy. It, it's really mm. a, a eye-opening book. And mm. yeah, you know, Bar- Barbara, do you want to step in and wrap up the show? Absolutely. This is, you know, definitely a book you're going to want to read because it does finally begin to link science with spirituality. And he has a very profound, compelling case here and uh, makes it palatable for both venues to kind of merge into one for, for a period of time. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening. Thank you to, doc- <clears throat> to Dr. Silverman and, of course, Mark for bringing it all to us. Um, definitely this is one book that I'm going to be perusing rapidly. Uh, check up, check out our calendar and take a look, see what's coming up uh, Monday and Tuesday of next week. Also, uh, check out the the um, YouTube channel, and if you like what you see and like what you hear, please subscribe. Bye, everybody, and thanks so much for sharing your time with us.